You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000, ESPN Chicago app. Baseball is back. Ah. That means we get a chance to talk to Jesse Rogers, who covers Major League Baseball and the Cubs for ESPN.com. And uh, Jesse joins us here on UTH. Uh, Jesse, I appreciate your time as always. Jay Hood, good to be with you. Jesse after dark, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the way we <laughs> like it. Jesse after dark. The sun goes down. Jesse goes up on the show. Uh, and, 60- and when the sun comes up, I'll be on KBO broadcast on ESPN, 6 a.m. <laughs> Chicago time tomorrow. So. Oh. Oh, geez, I'm shutting again. it down after this interview and waking up to another one. Again, you're going to be on yeah. K- the KBO broadcast again. Yeah. I wonder when that ends, right? I mean, when does the KBO contract end now that uh, American baseball's back? I think you can, uh, as someone uh, that has climbed uh, the company ladder pretty well, I think you could shut it down yourself, pal. I think you could well, just be like, that's enough of this KBO nonsense. Wouldn't it be funny if the contract was like through August with ESPN or something and Carl Ravitch had to do a regular game, 7 o'clock at Wrigley Field, then, uh, I don't know, go back to his hotel room and do a KBO broadcast all, all night? <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, I'm curious how, how long we do this. Maybe we do it through July on ESPN until the real real thing starts. All right, so 6, 6 a.m. Chicago yep. time. Here, Jesse, and his thoughts on the KBO broadcast as he has <laughs> no idea who's coming to the plate. Uh, right. It's not really my thoughts on the KBO. It's just I'll be on the KBO broadcast. Sure, sure. <laughs> but as that goes on, though, you're looking at these batters. You're like, I don't know yeah. who these people are at all. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's a hit. There's a stolen base. I don't know who that is, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, 60 games, not 82. My complaint is, yes, we do have baseball, but, man, would have been great if they if you give at least half the season. 60 games is a sprint for sure, but not 82. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, a couple, you know, 20, 22 more games, but in my mind, the ebb and flow of a season, it, it is a lot because – then you can use the first 40 to figure out your team, then the last 40 to, 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 to really go into overdrive. 30 isn't enough. It really isn't. I know it sounds weird, but um, I, Joe Madden used to talk about using April and May to figure out his bullpen. Well, um, I, I, on the south side, I think Ricky Rente has a little bit easier time figuring out his bullpen. There, a lot of the guys are back. It, you know, um, Colome had a good year. The Cubs, Kimbrell, did not have a good year, and it's a completely revamped pen. So, David Ross is going to need these three weeks coming up to really figure out his his team in general, but especially that bullpen. And I don't know if he can figure it out in intra-squad games. He will be rolling the dice in July, which used to be April, to figure out exactly what that pen's all about. But by the time he figures it out, they could be 10 games out. Who knows? One of the things I'm intrigued by by this season is what you're going to write when the season starts, because I need to know how you're going to evaluate David Ross in his first season as a manager. Yeah, I think early on, it's about the execution of this whole thing. It's not about how necessarily, um, you know, Kyle Hendricks curveball is looking in day one, right? It's just about pulling this off. Guy uh, Health is going to be something I write about often. COVID help, health and, and just regular be- baseball health, you know, uh, short, shoulder soreness, obliques, um, that sort of thing, hamstrings. Uh, things that happen in July, I mean, are guys going to just be careful and shut it down going into the regular season into August there? I mean, I think health is going to be something I write about a lot. Now, again, what I just say about the relievers, um, 
it, it, are we going to allow David Ross the the ability to ease into the job like we would if this was an April startup? No, I don't think we are. This is a veteran team, veteran starting staff. The only part that's new is that bullpen. So he's got to learn. He's got to learn quickly. And I, I know that he's been doing things, you know, dry runs and stuff. But but with players, he doesn't know anything about. I mean, Casey Sadler. I mean, we're talking about Cub players that even regular fans don't know much about. That's a reliever, by the way. So I, I think his learning curve is going to have to be fast. And he'll probably be judged unfairly. That's just how it goes anyway. Um, it's just unfortunate he has a new uh, a bullpen that he knows nothing about. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 on the Corona Hotline. I um, I look at the rules changes that we're going to be seeing. Uh, based on what you've seen so far, the rules changes, what do you like most that we're going to see here in this mini season? Um, as a reporter who will be in, allowed in the ballpark, I like the fact they're not going to wait a long time during rain delays. They are going to suspend those things and mm-hmm. pick it up at a later date. So that's a personal thing. Nobody likes to wait around during rain delays, players, media. So that's nice. But in terms of on the field, um, you know, the three batter minimum is interesting that they're still doing that. Like the, the runner on second extra innings, okay, we can all envision what that's going to look like. The game's going to end quicker. There's no doubt. That's, that's, that is what it is. It's fine. The three batter minimum is still something that, that is, is, is intriguing, right? It doesn't matter if you're starting in April or, or in August. Um, I, I do think uh, knowing that if these relievers, if these arms are in shape by the time July 23rd or 24th rolls around, the fact that nobody has to hold back because a lot of times you do that to stay fresh for later on, that is interesting to me. So I, I think that relievers can let loose if they're in shape. Managers can use them two, three days in a row if they're in shape. I think all that is interesting. And, and the three batter minimum, if normally in August – We'd be watching that because, uh, you know, a guy that's been used two days in a row, now he has to face three batters. He might not have much left in the tank. Now it's it's like, mm, okay, it's not that big of a deal. The guy's fresh. So I do think that's interesting. Just if these arms are in shape, they will be fresh. If they're out of shape, that that is a whole different story. You'll see, you'll see uh, um, guys that don't have command and all that kind of stuff, and maybe the velocity's down. They may need games to get into shape. So I guess the three batter minimum is 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 going to be different in my mind than it would have been if this was an April May um, exercise all the way through August. I think guys that are fresh aren't going to have a problem facing three batters, and and I don't think managers will have a problem using them. Ah, and the DH the way God wanted it, universal DH, pal. That's I what it. I like. I hate it. But you're a south side guy. I'm a north side guy. I, I just okay. I know all the arguments for it. I know, but at least admit some of my arguments. You play the field, you bat. That, that you, that's a good argument, right? You play yeah. the field, you bat. I understand, Jesse. But the the my point is is that the thing that's not talked about enough is is that there are extra jobs out there for National League guys. You know, we're looking for the next great pinch hitter or the guy that never gets a chance to play. Now he gets a chance to play on a daily basis. That's a good thing. This this whole thing with the strategy is just you and Madden in that book. You and you and Larusa and the, and the strategy of how to utilize a pitcher. I do like the strategies. That's, that's I do fine. like the strategies. But Jesse, that's just one thing though. Like if the if a National League manager can't stay awake long enough while he's got a DH, then get out of the game. 
How about that? There's so many layers to the pitcher hitting that people don't talk about. First of all, everything's relative. So, yeah, most pitchers aren't very good hitters, but the better hitters help their teams more than the bad hitters. That's that's an interesting dynamic. Those better hitters tend to get maybe that extra at bat when the manager's wavering either way. That's interesting. The, let me let me finish. The way a pitcher navigates a lineup, knowing the pitchers down there is interesting. So it, it's not just the offensive team that, that uses the strategy. It's the defensive team. John Lester will tell you if he's facing seven and eight, he's got nine waiting. That That's an interesting dynamic. Now, not to say that that this is a new dynamic, like how you navigate a, a lineup now with the DH. But I always thought that was interesting, using the pitcher as your as your as your you know batter that you can navigate around, um, not around necessarily, but use to get an out, maybe the final out of a, of, a, of a tough inning. So I just think there's layers to having that having that uh, pitcher bat. But the biggest thing is if you play the field, you should bat. Some guy sitting for eight in nine innings while he he gets up there four times a game and he's going to get paid millions. Come on, play the field. Play the field and back. Wait just a second. Don't you I can't realize... wait to interview Schwarber. Everybody's expecting Schwarber to say, oh, I can't wait to DH. I don't buy it. Schwarber's not going to do that. He, he he didn't DH his whole life. Now, all of a sudden, he's got to sit for every and, and just get up to plate every, every second or third inning. He's going to hate it, in my opinion. Well, how about this? If he stays a National League guy, it's going to keep him in the league for another five or seven years. Otherwise, he would have been out because he can't well, play maybe the, at the tail end. Maybe at the tail end. But right now, he's in the prime of his career, and he's actually improved on defense. And by the way, the Cubs yeah. aren't deep enough to, to, to have 10 hitters. They're not. They're not deep enough for it. So um, I, this isn't 16 or 17 where you're trying to squeeze guys in the lineup. Who plays center and who plays left? All of a sudden, now Moore and Hap are your everyday players with Schwarber as a DH. Now Moore and Hap couldn't split one, one position last year. Now they're going to both play? Come on. All the all-time great DHs. It kept Harold Baines in the game for an extra decade. Yeah, you know, games, I was a like Brian that. Downing fan. <laughs> Pulled that name out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I did like the fact that it was in the AL and not in the NL. So I will say that I enjoyed it in the other league, even though I was more of an NL fan. I understand. Well, you know, a lot of you writers uh, and columnists really get um, asked some very unfair questions, I think. Like, for instance, this thing on ESPN.com. One of the questions that was posed uh, to many on ESPN.com is, who is... Uh, one player that you think that could thrive under the 2020 format. That's, that's almost an impossible question to answer, isn't it? I mean, it's, you can pick a name out of the hat and say, you know, Rizzo can get hot. Brian can get hot for, you know, during these 60 games. But that this could be anybody because this is such the great unknown in COVID-19, Jesse. You could pick any name out. And I see that uh, Otani had a, a big vote and also Schwarber got three votes on that as well. That is, that is such a cliche vote. I didn't vote for Schwarber. They asked all of us. That was I voted for Eugenio Suarez, mm-hmm. who um, had shoulder surgery, but now has had plenty of time to recover. He's in a stacked lineup. Now, I did what you just said. I picked a name out of a hat that was good, so I shouldn't make fun of the Schwarber thing. But why did, why did Schwarber lead the way? There's a lot of good NL hitters because he's the DH now. He'll focus on just hitting. <laughs> right. Give me a break. Give me a break. It might hurt his hitting just being the DH. Guys get guys get used to playing the field in that rhythm of it. Now he's going to just be thinking about hitting for, for nine innings. That You don't necessarily want that. So um, I don't know. I, 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 I think Schwarber was just some sort of a cliche pick. But you're right. It's picking a name out of a hat. I mean, I guess the easy way of doing this would have been to um, would have been to uh, pick a guy that is hot in April a lot, right? Guys that are hot in April um, and transform that to this. But I think that's probably wrong, too. I mean, 
April it's cold weather, so now so now it's hot weather. Maybe guys that that needed the hot weather will be hot right away. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think you're right. It's picking a name out of a habit at this point. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, and Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 on the Corona Hotline. Another one is, is who is the one player that you think that could struggle in the 2020s? Again, Otani uh, led the votes in that, but Kyle Hendricks got a vote there. Craig Kimbrell had a vote on this as well. Like, so, that was so my vote. Hendricks was your vote or, or Kimbrell? No, 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 Kimbrell. Strictly because all we heard last year is he needs a full spring training. Well, he's not getting a full spring training again. Yeah. Um, he had half a spring training and then some weird, you know, second second part two. But it's not exactly. And I just have my doubts about him. I have my doubts. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm not sure about this guy. Um, I don't know what he's got left. He, he was faltering at the end of 18. Then he has this bad 19, half a season. Now, now uh um, we'll see what 20 brings. It's just two months, but that was my vote. I don't know who voted for Hendricks, but um, he, he, his ERA in, in August, September is minuscule. So maybe that's just someone thinking that uh, he's just not going to be good out of the box because he's usually bad in April. All of this is, is crapshoot questions that are being posed. Like, you know, we know the, the favorites for the MVP. Mike Trout would be on the top of that list. But to me, baseball more so than any sport, Jesse, has that creature of habit thing that I'm used to being able to have spring training and just kind of leisurely go through the season, get hot when I get hot. As you mentioned, you've covered players, and I've seen players that get hot once the weather turns in May and June. But to me, with COVID-19 and the, this whole dynamic is starting in late July, this is going to be different for everybody. This, To me, the whole thing is going to be turned upside down, and it's going to be someone that we don't, are not thinking about that could actually have a run here offensively and get a chance to get to the World Series. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, I don't think I would pick the Marlins or, or the Tigers, but it wouldn't shock me if a second-tier team went on some – really good run and it just and they're in the in the mix yeah (laughs) the cubs Cubs. exactly uh i i I don't know i don't know i can't pick that team but it would just just be ready for it someone let's just face it someone we don't expect is going to make a run and probably make the playoffs that that normally won over the course of 62 let's just face it that is going to happen um so uh, that'll be enjoyable to watch, you know, uh, and, and some team that we expect to, to go far is probably going to fall flat on their face over 60 games. So I think it's all uh, these are all cool storylines. I, I think it's all very interesting for one season to, to have some fun with this. I liked how you gave you give Ross a little bit of a hot seat here because of how urgent it is for the Cubs to be able to have some kind of winning season. Just this is just based on contracts and age, right. the veteran presence on this team. So it it's not like anyone's pushing Ross out the door, but Keep in mind, I, I wanted Madden to stay. I understand that there was a disconnect between Madden and Theo, so something had to change. Great. But the window is still uh, ajar just a little bit for this little bit. team. But yeah, a little but, bit. Not not enough, though. The, the, yeah. Like I said, veteran staff. Now, th- that veteran staff in April looked really, really shaky. It, for, mm-hmm. for two months, it looks better. So I will say that. Veteran starting staff, I should say. It looks better under a two-month thing. The lineup is decent enough for sure, though not deep enough. 
Uh, but it's the bullpen. It's the bullpen. That's a big question mark. It's as simple as that. Uh, we don't know what that bullpen is going to look like. And that is with a guy like Kimbrell being a question mark, let alone the rest of them. So that that's my problem. But the window is there. No doubt. Short season. It could happen. All right, let me talk to talk show Jesse for a second because I, I thought Jesse. that's who you were talking to. No, I'm talking to reporter <laughs> Jesse. I'm talking to KBO Jesse. That's who I'm talking to. Go ahead. I need to What's talk up? To I need to talk to talk show Jesse about sports in general in which, whether it's pro wrestling with the WWE and AEW, what is UFC, boxing, what we're seeing here with these sports where if someone does have COVID-19, they're just keeping, keeping it moving. UFC was the first one where they had – three fighters that uh, had COVID-19 and they still had their card baseball, as we've seen, as you've reported, and we've seen on ESPN.com, a number of players already with COVID-19. This is something that is going to happen. Not if it's going to happen. How do you, what's your gut feeling about baseball and COVID-19? If there's multiple players on a roster, that's going to have this, will Manfred pull the plug or do we just keep moving until we get to a champion? Now, I think Manfred will only pull the plug if he's just forced to. I mean, it's just obvious they can't continue. It's too many guys. But this is why they have 60 coming to camp, potentially. 30 on the main roster, 30 on the taxi squad. That's a lot. That's that's just in case you need to replace a bunch. Now, um, if, if city ordinances change and state, you know, states have problems that they can't control and and they say, oh, we can't do this. That's a different story. This, so government will certainly dictate. Medical people will certainly dictate a lot of this. I think the only way baseball shuts down on their own is if it becomes obvious that, that look, team, not one player or five players, but teams are getting infected and it just can't continue. So I, I, I have my worries. I mean, the way this thing is popping up already, what, what, what could be a hot spot now may not be a month from now and, and, and vice versa. So there's a lot of concerns, but you move forward until you can't and, Hopefully people are, are, you know, stay safe and, you know, there's a season to talk about. But certainly there's some issues ar- around this country going on for sure. Just not in Illinois, thank God. We, we've done a good job here, but uh, there's plenty in other cities. The, is there a, a guideline? Is there a 100-page guideline for Major League Baseball yet on COVID-19 like the NBA? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They have, they have a, a, a huge protocol, uh, list of protocols they have to deal with for sure. Um, most of them are, are involved, you know, what happens at the ballpark. But obviously, what happens away from the ballpark is of big interest as well. I mean, mm-hmm. if guys are just, you know, uh, going out and, and, and contracting this thing, it's going to be a problem. And it's certainly going to be a problem if they bring it into the clubhouse. So uh, it's, it's a long list of health protocols. I think they can follow it at the field. A little different away from the field. We'll see. All right. Um, I want to ask you lastly about the expectations for next season. All this labor strife and back and forth between the owners and players, and finally they came up with something. So what's the expectations for next season? Revenues are going to be bad, and you're going to hear that from ownership throughout here. And um, they are not going to spend a lot in in free agency next year. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. They're already setting the table for that. Um, I'm not sure what the union can do to guarantee some, some, you know, monetary relief in these situations. I I think that if they don't file a grievance, they, they can use that to their advantage. Hey, we won't file grievance if you include this kind of money here and, and do this for us. But I don't know what, what can actually be done. It just might be a bad free agent year. And then with the new CBA, they'll be able to pick something up, you know, on the other side of things, but you don't want to be a free agent after this season. It's just the luck of the draw right now. Uh, what's on your phone right now? You got you got a quote to, so that you can give us? Oh, I'm usually pulling up something from an agent who's mad about something, but they're not they're not as mad anymore. They're not right. as mad anymore. Um, any pla- they're, any they're players? Happy they're, what? What's that? 
Any players say anything of, of note about yes, uh, what's going to Okay, I'll give you a couple players. I asked okay. them, what are you going to do without spitting? First response I got, it's after 9 o'clock, right? First response I got was swallow. That's the first response I got. And I'm like, can you expand on that before I use that as a quote? The next response I got is uh, the, 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 the ball boy is going to have to keep bringing out some hand sanitizer to me. So this is what we're discussing right now. Hand sanitizer and swallowing your own spit. There's a couple quotes from my, from my phone. <laughs> okay. That's what we wanted. We wanted the breaking news there, some, some insight there. I, 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 I would just say it's very difficult to play baseball without spitting. I, yes. I think, I think I, that's hard to do. Yes, it is. And I don't know how they're going to enforce it or if they actually will. We'll see. You know, I, I, I don't know. It, it seems it seems ridiculous to enforce something like that. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, stay six feet away from your teammate or whatever. But spitting on the baseball field, that, that is a natural reaction. Right. I just don't know if they can do it. <laughs> that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks for coming on the show as always. Of course. Have a good evening, Jay Hood. Jesse Rogers covers Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Friday night, we'll be under the hood right after the odds couple. We'll be on at 8 o'clock, 8 to 10. Friday night, hope that you could be with us right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Follow me on Snapchat, SnapJHood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back guaranteed. Also on Instagram, IGJHood. Well, Pete Futak is a college football expert. He's from collegefootballnews.com, front of the program. I was teaming with Freddie Coleman last week, and we had a great time. If you listened to those shows last week, um, I was working with Freddie Coleman here on ESPN 1000, also on the network. And uh, we had a chance to talk to a number of great guests. One of them was Pete Futek from College Football News, uh, based here in Chicago. And uh, the first question that was posed to Pete regarding college football in the upcoming season says, you know, I, you know, we saw Pete's Twitter, and he said that he's pretty optimistic for a college football season. And we asked him, well, why does he feel that way? How are those NBA playoffs going? How, how are the NHL playoffs going? How, that Major League Baseball weekend was a killer. Like, nothing's happening yet. And I know that baseball is an own goal right now in terms of whiffing on that. And NBA is eventually going to happen. And NHL, it might be happening and no one would notice or care anyway. Uh, but there's so many logistical problems for college football. Now, the NFL, you've got players associations. You've got grown men making a lot of money who can kind of figure it out and players who have a voice, kind of hard when you don't have a college players association and you're trying to figure out, well, we want, to make, we want these guys to be uh, just regular college students along with being football players, which is a problem because 10 minutes after college is open, two house parties later, it's going to be a shutdown. <laughs> so it's, this is going to be, if you really want to have college football, you just you got to go the NBA route to the nth degree and just say, okay, guys, for four months, we're going to lock you down in a athletic dorm, including the coaches. It's all about just hanging out and you know doing what you're going to do remotely, and you're going to play college football, and that's going to be your life. You're not going to see anybody else because other than that, 
what do you do if it's Alabama, Georgia, and the night before the game, you know, three members of the Georgia secondary test positive, you know, do you forfeit? Do you, uh, do you contact trace to the teams they played before? Like, how do you do this? Well, where's that bubble in Toledo for the Mac? Do you, I didn't know there was wow. one, Pete. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, the, the <laughs> exactly. Very nice. And, well, that's you know what? The, that's going to be the interesting part. There's part of me that would like to kind of see how this is going to go on a conference by conference basis because you don't even you know you have the NCAA, but you don't have a Roger Goodell. So it, you, you have a Greg Sankey. You know you have other conference commissioners, and it, this might really end up going along lines of which conferences have which political leanings in those states. So the SEC and Big Twelve might look extremely different compared to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. So, and that's and part of that might mean that if it gets floated out there that the Pac-12 says, you know what, we don't want to deal with anybody else. We're just going to have a, a loving game all Pac-12 season, which I think would be awesome. But the Toledos of the world would get knocked out. I mean, you get that this would be crushing for the Group of Five programs, and I see that as a potential possibility that the conferences just say, okay, for this year, we're just going to close ranks and say we're only playing conference games. Great stuff by Pete Futek from collegefootballnews.com. The one thing you also put out on your Twitter handle, that if any coach could have a bubble environment and separate his kids from everybody else, plenty of coaches would sign up for that. Now, we know that's practically impossible, but why, if that actually happened, would that be a great thing for coaches in college football? If you were to put every, if you were to interview any all 130 FBS head coaches right now and say, you have to, you can coach, you can have a season, but you can't see your family for four months, you can't see your other friends for four months, uh, but you have to be locked down with all your coaches in a athletic dorm, uh, quarantined with your players who can't do anything else, and all you're going to do for the next four months is work and concentrate on college football. All 130 would say, oh, that would be awful. I, don't want, I can't miss my wife and kids. And then you'd hook them up to a lie detector test, and they'd all be, eh, eh, eh. That, that's their dream. <laughs> that's what you want to do. That's what they, these guys, when the season happens, they want zero distractions whatsoever. No matter what they might say, they are all in on college football, football coaches. Football coaches are you know, football coaches all the time anyway. But during the season, nothing else really exists. So if you're promising them that, wait a minute, I can lock down all my players to make sure they don't get in any trouble. I know where they are. They're right here. We can keep an eye on them. They're doing their schoolwork. They're doing their studying. They're doing their uh, film prep, all that other stuff. They would take it in a heartbeat. Pete, as we know, for college football coaches, they love power. They love to be the voice of the team. So during this um, time of diversity, during these times where black athletes like Hubbard from Oklahoma State are speaking up, could this be a factor with some programs where more players are more vocal? Because you usually don't get that on the college football level as much. How about never? I mean, how about this is a first? I mean, this is – it's not – of course, the the racial component here is taking this to another level – but it, it's just a, also a player-coach dynamic where no player has ever had any power over a head coach unless it is a you know superstar or Heisman caliber you know quarterback type quarterback. It, you just you just don't have that. So for now, 
it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to work going forward because you've got a whole group of kids who have grown up using social media. We do. We have a thought, hey, I've got to share this thought with the world. And what do you do? You instantly go to social media. Well, now, if you're used to doing that, if you're an 18 to 22-year-old kid and your thought happens to be, you know what, my coach is kind of doing somewhat racist things that I don't like, that's the nuclear button we haven't had before. And that's the that's we we saw this at Florida State with Marvin Wilson when uh, when you had Mike Norvell with his interview that didn't wasn't quite kosher when the first time around, but that got they figured out. And the part of the thing with the social media too with the with the players is they're going to have to figure out the responsibility aspect of this as well because what happened in the Florida State situation and the Ohio and the Oklahoma State situation, even though it was a little bit bizarre, it worked out. But to get there the guys had to turn to Twitter first and Instagram and everything sort of blew up from there. So it's, if you're a head coach in college football right now, you had better make sure that you have reached out to every single one of your players and say, look, if you have any problems whatsoever, talk to me. Because if you're a coach, the last thing you want is for a player to go to social media before talking to you. Pete Futek from collegefootballnews.com. Speaking of that Oklahoma State situation, when I say Mike Gundy as the head football coach under siege for what Tuba Hubbard pointed out about the shirt OAN, and all of a sudden we found out that Alfred Williams, when he played in Colorado against Mike Gundy when he played for Oklahoma State, said that Mike Gundy threw the N-word at him during the game. What do you say about Mike Gundy and his status at Oklahoma State? Yeah, it, it's a problem. I mean, and I know there's the side that says, well, he's just wearing a T-shirt. Oh, and what you guys are stuff. It's not about he's wearing a T-shirt. It's about what OAN represents at the moment, considering that is the anti-Black Lives Matter, matter, the denier of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so it's it's not like if he he was wearing a CNN shirt or a Fox shirt or something. All right, of course you can have your political leanings. The problem is the college football head coach in this strange and twisted world is going to be the number one PR guy for just about any school. That's it, you know, like Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. The, the college football head coaches, we all know who Mike Gundy is. We don't know who the college, you know, the, the college president is. And that's just kind of how this sort of PR side of things works. So if the main representative of your university, it's about the, you know, it's about the job more than the man itself. Of course, Mike Gundy can have whatever, you know, beliefs he wants, obviously. But mm-hmm. if you're representing the entire student body, and you're representing, you know, the the people who don't care about football. You're representing the alumni, the professors, and the football team. That's why, you know, you would never have coaches who really step on. Say, I, I point to a few years, four years ago, uh, at Big Ten Media Days, I was doing some TV stuff, and the last uh, question that the producers wanted me to ask every player and coach was, "All right, so Trump or Hillary?" And a few players would answer. Not one of the fourteen Big Ten head coaches would touch that question. Because you just you can't. You're representing more than yourself, even though obviously they all have political beliefs. Uh, Pete, I've been, uh, of course, Freddie, you know where I get my college football information, college football news. I steal from Futech all the time. Uh, so I see that you're cranking at the previews already, Pete. So I'll ask you this. On the field, what is your big picture question that you have for the upcoming season? How fast can the big guys reload? Because Georgia's loaded but they got to make sure Jamie Newman is ready at quarterback, uh, and they've got to reload that team up a little bit. Who's the quarterback going to be at Alabama? Who's the quarterback? You know, is, you know, is, is Tyler Schlow going to be the guy at Oregon? You know, where are the? You know, is LSU going to be able to replace all those million starters that they lost? 
And so you have all this uncertainty in a year with the utmost uncertainty. So how will this year matter with no spring ball? There's probably going to be a bizarre, funky season where I don't think we're going to get all 12 games. We might get, you know, eight or so and a few stops and starts. We're not going to have practice like normal. So if you're like a Mississippi State, for example, and you bring on Mike Leach and you have an offense that depends on timing and precision, you don't even have K.J. Costello, your transfer from uh, you know, Stanford, coming in to take over the quarterback job yet. That might take a while. But if you're someone like you know a Wisconsin who, like, hey, you know what, we might need timing, but at the end of the day, you know, handball off, let big offensive line hit people, that, <laughs> those teams are probably going to be a little bit more advanced than this. And at the end of the day, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, you know, a lot of the same players. Uh, but if you ever were to see a year – where something truly funky could happen, where just someone outside of the Blue Bloods just loaded with veterans, just put something weird together and went on an epic run. This could be a really, really interesting college football playoff race if it's not a normal 12-game season. No doubt about that. Pete, always appreciate you. I'm sure Jonathan can't wait to steal more stuff from your college football news that's website. What man. Always appreciate that's, what I, that's what I do this for, so Jay can, can go and just take whatever he has and preach the gospel out to the rest of the world. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, Crane Kenny was on with Captain Company earlier today. The story goes on ESPN.com. The Cubs hope to have fans in the stands not long after baseball returns for a 60-game season. Uh, uh, the state of Illinois is moving into phase four. We, I saw the press conference earlier from Governor Pritzker of Illinois. And phase four starting uh, as we go through this coronavirus recovery, allowing businesses up to 20% capacity, including Wrigley Field guaranteed rate uh, where the Sox play. And so... When fans are allowed back in Wrigley Field, uh, Kenny envisions capacity at about 8,000. And you know that there are so many that are just itching to go outside and itching to go back to the ballpark. Some thoughts now from Crane Kenny of the Chicago Cubs. um, Thinks that fans uh, will be returning to Wrigley Field. They're looking forward to fans being back in the stands. Yeah, um, so we're we're very hopeful, and I'd say uh, the direction of this topic is is driven really by the medical professionals, and so working with the league and their medical professionals, as well as ours from Advocate and Northwestern, um, and then uh, obviously talking to the state. You know, we we are at a point where we believe we can safely bring some portion of our fan base back into Wrigley Field, um, and obviously the governor reached that same conclusion. Uh, I would say our mayor has been an amazing partner throughout um, from all the issues that we faced in closing down Wrigley Field um, and, and obviously all the restaurants and the hotel and Gallagher Way and securing those and uh, providing uh, great advice to us through uh, Dr. Layden, her medical expert, on how we can safely bring our office back online to some degree uh, to post the games uh, that will begin this July in spring training. So we have a really good partner in the, in the, uh, on the fifth floor at city hall. And, uh, I expect that you'll hopefully get there, uh, with some, you know, with a little more time. Also, he says that, uh, there should have fans on the rooftops. 
Yeah, it looks like they can, because under both the governor and the mayor's phasing, um, because each one is an individual address uh, and uh, capacity is limited, uh, it looks like from, from day one we'll, be have, we'll have the rooftops open, um, which would give an interesting perspective, maybe one of the few places in America that you can see live sports. Um, uh, I can't think of any other stadiums in baseball where uh, you'd have these individual addresses that could host small groups. So uh, it'll be pretty fun. I remember hosting with Jesse Rogers around Memorial Day. We were in for David Kaplan, and we were doing a show together, and we were asking fans on that show whether or not if you were able to have a ticket and Wrigley Field, a guaranteed rate, or Miller Park or whatever was open, would you go to the game? And I would say maybe 70 to 75% of the fans that we talked to said that they would go to the games if they could. During this quarantine and during this shelter in place, it has been very difficult for many to be able to change their lives. Of course, there are some of us that can be able to adjust and knowing that it's about safety, you don't want to be a statistic. Uh, It's one thing to think that you know science versus someone who's been studying it for 30 or 40 years. I will never believe in just random people or suits and ties in Washington, D.C. that will tell me about my health unless it's a medical professional. Those scientists that have been studying this for a long time, I will trust them before I trust just someone with rhetoric, someone that's on a side of an aisle. Oh, you don't have to wear a mask because, well... Uh, freedoms. I don't have to wear a mask because, uh, uh, stuff and people and red and blue and because it's not what I'm used to just stupid crap like that. I'm, I'm never going to be that guy. I will listen to my doctors. I listen to the medical professionals because I don't want to die. And I don't want you to die either. Just because you feel like, well, I need to be able to go into this Home Depot without a mask because that's what I'm used to. Well, screw you. Like you are, you are putting me in jeopardy and someone else, and I wouldn't do that to you. So why would you do it to me? And the reason why the answer to the question is because there's so many people that are selfish. And when you have a situation like we've never seen before with a pandemic like this, uh, it sh- it really shows and really is able to uh, identify who's selfish and who's not. Who is so selfish? that they would put you in risk and put themselves in risk just because they can have their freedoms with an S and just because they can. It's a lot of selfish people out there and they're identifying themselves on a regular basis. Just open up your social media and just, just flip through some of the videos, flip through some of the stories on Twitter and you can see it for yourself as you are listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. And by the way, if that's you, I'm talking to you. Yeah, if you fit that description, yes, I'm talking to you when it comes to being selfish. Um, and, and so as much as I love sports, you've been listening to me for a long time. You know, I love the love sports and love to be out of guaranteed rate as a Sox fan, going to Miller Park, going to see Brewers games or going to Soldier Field. I would love to be able to do that, but I'm not doing that unless I know that it's safe to go. Um, but Crane Kenny is similar to so many that run sports franchises or owners or those that are trying to get sports back that even during this pandemic, they're trying to find a way to shoehorn you in there because you're desperate to get back to a game during a pandemic. 
oh, look, there's a game here. There's a game. You want to go to a game? Sure, sure, I'll go. The hope is that if you're able to go to Wrigley Field or go to a, a sporting event, that you'll be coming out of there safe every time that you go. Uh, so rooftops will be open in advance. The rooftops, if you know Wrigley Field rooftops, you know what that means. There's going to be a ton of people that's going to be able to watch the game. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. I I find it interesting for someone that grew up before the Internet was made that uh, there is so much misinformation out there where you go to Google or you go to your favorite search engine looking for the answers. And there's like a million answers and you don't know what's real. And I grew up in an era where you had to go through textbooks to try to find out what the answer is to something or actually talking to someone like a medical professional. Uh, so Crane Kenny believes there's going to be fans in the stands. And even though these teams will be losing money, and when I say these teams, I'm about the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all these teams are going to be losing money all, all across the board. This will be a loss because of the pandemic and maybe even next season, too, based on what the medical professionals are saying. But still, they want to be able to have some semblance of baseball and have fans in the stands. Now, another story about the Cubs, and that is regarding Sammy Sosa. We saw the Sosa McGuire long-gone documentary, and you know how Tom Ricketts feels about Sammy Sosa. He needs to, quote-unquote, apologize before he's allowed to come back to Wrigley Field and back into the good graces of the Cubs. Some thoughts from Crane Kenny about the relationship with Sosa and the Cubs after the documentary. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm not sure it was ever as frozen as, as some would like to, to make it seem. Um, we we have always recognized Sammy's contributions to our club. We 66 over the ballpark, uh, as you know, with the flag that, that honors his accomplishment. Um, and, and, and really, I, I, I don't want to say it's been made up. I think Tom's comment about Sammy was, not something uh, that uh, you know was sort of deep in his in his soul. It was just a, a feeling he has about um, that generation of players and how many of them have reacted over time to the allegations of of, of PED use. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm not saying anything has changed from yesterday or a month ago or a year ago, uh, but. Um, you know, it, it, we we enjoyed the documentary. We uh, on social media we promoted it, um, and we've never shied away from recognizing Sammy's accomplishments. So I'll leave it there. Um, but uh, no no question, uh, especially during that era and coming off of a really ugly work stoppage, uh, he was very important to our franchise. So what does that mean, Tyler? What does that mean? Like, so are they softening their? approach to Sammy Sosa because I, I believe that you're leaving good money on the table and you have an opportunity to sell Sosa merch with Sosa being around. There's a, a revenue stream right there. And for not for him not being around, that means that Cub fans are going to forget about Sammy. So to me, if Sammy's around, now you're selling pictures, you're selling uh, jerseys, you're selling you know um, the dolls, all the stuff that Sammy uh, brought to the table. People remember how he put butts in seats with the Cubs when he was there. I just think that if you are cutting off a, a potential revenue stream by not having Sosa in the, around the ballpark. Also, acknowledging Sammy Sosa. I mean, that flag was hung up there honoring the 66. That was before the Ricketts. Mm-hmm. That's been up there for ages. And, and you think of the, the tweets and stuff like that. I mean, it, feels, it felt like a very empty, empty statement. You know what you're going to need? Since we're, po- we're in the post-Madden uh, era... And who knows what the Cubs are going to look like like in the next three or four years, maybe without Theo. You're going to need something. 
Why not Sammy? <laughs> You're going to need a hat to hang on, so why not Sammy? Tell them out <laughs> once, do it again. <laughs> you know, the feel-good story of Sammy. We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to Jesse Rogers for being with us, uh, as well as Howard Griffith. We heard from Pete Futek as well and Ray Flores. Show produced by Tyler Akee on the other side of the glass. Uh, show tomorrow, 8 to 10. Be with us after the uh, odds couple. Uh, as Then don't forget the podcast. Don't forget to go to ESPN Chicago. If you missed some of our segments, go to the ESPN Chicago app and look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.